This is a Cincy fan talking with LP. You can catch me on Twitter. That's a Cincy fan talking. You say it like it sounds, just leave off the G. If you have ideas for the show, you can reach me at Cincy underscore fan talk at yahoo.com. If you have any suggestions for the show, make sure you leave them there. Who knows? You might find yourself as part of the show. Any feedback would be definitely appreciated. And also, make sure you hit the link tree page that's on my Twitter. Make sure you click on that. You can find all the different ways to contact me there. Enjoy the show. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's going on out there in podcast land? Welcome to another episode of a Cincy fan talking with LP. And of course, this is yours truly, LP. What's up and welcome back. Appreciate y'all coming through and checking me out for this here episode. It's weird because I'm up and down at the same time. It's like it was a cool weekend and it was a sucky weekend at the same time. We'll, we'll jump into all of that. We're going to do this a little bit different. All right. So we're going to flip this a little bit differently. We're going to talk about overreactions. So I'm going to lay out stuff I've been thinking about. And we're going to say if it's either an overreaction, if it's right on point, or if it's eh, kind of mid-range. Might as well knock out the stuff that I hate to talk about first. Might as well do that first. Michigan got the W. B.O. State. We all Saudi. Well, we all Saudi here. Um, checking out the timeline, I didn't know there was that many Michigan fans out there. I was I was a little surprised. I would have been talking way more trash had I known it was more Michigan people on the timeline. Like, had, had I known it was so many Michigan fans out there cheering for their squad, I would have been talking, talking much trash. <laughs> but, I mean, now I know, so... Next year, I'm going to make sure I, I talk all the trash I possibly can. Because win or lose, I'm going to talk that because Ohio State, that's that's my squad no matter what. So, I guess my first my first statement, and we're going to talk about this as an overreaction or not. Um, Michigan dominated Ohio State on Saturday. Overreaction, eh, or right on point. And... It's, it's my job to be a homer because <laughs> I love my squad. But at the same time, like, you got to look at this unbiased and, and you got to be real about yourself. If you're really a fan, you got to be real. And for real, that's not that's not an over-exaggeration. That's, that, that really happened. Like, <laughs> I mean, what, what can you do? That's not one of those things where it's like it's an overreaction and you living in the moment like, dang, yeah, we happy, but, you know, they ain't lose by. My Buckeyes got handled. And it's not much you can say other than tip your cap to the Wolverines for what they did on Saturday. That's really all you can do. As much as it hurt to say, as as much as Michigan sucks, 
<laughs> in, in, in my brain, you look out on the field on Saturday and you saw all of those things that Ohio State did poorly against Oregon and against Minnesota and against Tulsa and honestly against Penn State. All of those things that they did not do well, they all came to the forefront on Saturday. And Michigan, for what it's worth, they took full advantage, man. Like they, they took full advantage of Ohio State's weaknesses, and they just jumped on top of them and didn't let up. For a full 60 minutes, they did not let up. And they did what I thought other teams would do against Ohio State. You sit all your players back. You make sure you don't get beat over the top. And you make them drive the entire field on offense to beat you. That's what you do. And Ohio State didn't do a good job of stepping up and switching things up. Usually at halftime, Ryan Day does a really good job of hopping in the lab, going like, okay, they're taking this from us, so we're going to do this. That didn't happen. Michigan really came prepared, and you got to tip your cap to them. They, they did their job. So the next statement would be this. This rivalry is now a rivalry now. Things are starting to become even. Now, for me, this is an overreaction. I don't like to be that guy that goes like, yeah, well, y'all won this one, but look at what we did. I mean, in the moment, Michigan was the better team. They get to talk all that trash. They fans, they fans get to they get to talk that yin yang for three hundred and sixty two more days. They they get to do that, and you can't take it away from them. But to say that this is a rivalry now after one win is kind of silly. You you gotta you gotta build a track record up of showing that you can compete. Not saying that any team can win one game, but I mean if you really look at it, Ohio State had the better team. They didn't have a better team on Saturday though. They were out schemed, they were outclassed. But if you look at this in the grand scheme of things, John Cooper went two ten and one. <laughs> I mean, he won twice. And he got dominated by Michigan, but he still found a way to win two games out of the 13 that he coached in. But you wouldn't say after the game that he won, you wouldn't go like, okay, all right, we back. We're back to even footing. Nah. It was a blip in the schedule that Michigan was running us in. It was one of those times where we celebrated and lost our minds and went nuts. Like, yeah, we finally got one. And then for the next few years, it was back to those status quo, and we was pissed again. That's basically how it went while John Cooper was running Ohio State. It, it was it was some lean years. I remember being in college during a couple of those years, and we had some squads like, yeah, we about to get this done. Yeah, can't wait, can't wait. Seeing the boys on campus like, yeah, we got this one, homie. Yeah, I feel you. Then we get popped. <laughs> and, it's, and it's frustrating. And you can't be like, well, they just didn't want it enough. Come on. You playing Michigan. You want it enough. The other team just wanted it a little bit more, and they got the dub. But after we won a game, we were like, yeah, yeah, we happy. But if you really asked us, are things back to even footing, we'd have been like, 
Ooh, let's wait till next year. Let's see if we can get it done again. That's where Michigan is right now. They got the one. Harbaugh is one and five now. He he got the dub. You can't take that away. We're not in a position to be like, okay, well, it was snowing and they lucky because nah, we got ran. We'll admit it. But we are quite confident that we'll get that back. <laughs> like we feel like we have a very young team that's about to explode next year. I honestly feel like they were a year away anyway. That that's honestly what I always felt, especially after the first game of the year against Minnesota. I was kind of like, this might be a long year. We might take a couple of L's. But we didn't want one of those L's to be Michigan. <laughs> no, it, it don't it don't matter how bad the team is or, or whatever. We're always like, we want the one at the end of the year. So if you see an Ohio State fan trying to take away the, the Michigan win or whatever, just just let them know, like, look, it's cool. They got that. You let them talk their stuff because they get to because they team won. But this won't last long. <laughs> and I keep telling the Michigan fans that. Enjoy the moment. Bask in it. Because if it was me, I would be too. I'd be letting you know, like, uh-huh. <laughs> sorry, chump. <laughs> That's what it is. So, like, I, I've been getting it on Twitter and all that, and I don't even get upset. I'm just kind of like, good win. It, it was a good win, but but nothing. Good win. Catch you next year. Because I don't really think this is something that Michigan can sustain. I don't feel like they have – I wouldn't say they have the team because, I mean, honestly, it's Michigan. At some point, they'll they'll get the players together. But right now, I don't feel like they have a scheme that's going to work every single time they play Ohio State or a team with Ohio State's firepower. I I don't really think in the college game you can run the ball like an Army or a Navy a kabillion times and and see really good results. I feel like you can get them in a year or maybe two years max, but I don't think this is sustainable because you're not going to be able to recruit the players that do that. You're going to end up with a slow offense at some point because all the speedsters, all the real, you know, speed skill players, they're going to go to other schools like Ohio State. So it'll be interesting to see what Michigan does next year because, I mean, it was a senior laden squad. It'll be it'll be interesting to see who steps up and fill those, fill those open spaces. But I definitely expect a win from Ohio State next year. I mean, especially after all the stuff Harbaugh was talking. It's about to get ugly. I feel like that's the part of this rivalry that's going to ratchet up because Mitch, uh, Harbaugh, he's been talking to talk for the long because he finally got to walk the walk. So they and the boys, they got, they got something for y'all. Kudos to um, Michigan, though. Good win. Hey, y'all definitely got that one. We'll be back. That, that's the bad stuff. That was the sucky part of the weekend. That was Saturday. Sunday, the Bengals decided to come through and look like the team that we expect to see next year. And they look like that now against the Steelers. And that's three wins in a row. Three, because Finley and the boys took one last year, Monday Night Football. And... These two that they played this year, they haven't even been close. I think the um 
the running total is like ninety five to twenty seven or something like that. It's it's been bad. So overreaction number one. This will be the norm between the Bengals and the Steelers. What we saw on Sunday will be the norm. And for me, and if I'm being honest, if and this, I, I got to put the little um, disclaimer right here. If the personnel stays about the same, this will probably be the norm. In the Ohio State Michigan thing, like in, in that whole rivalry, you can say Ohio State easily is going to, you know, kind of hop back into where they are because of the personnel. The personnel is so one-sided towards Ohio State that you can kind of call this a blip in the radar. With the Bengals and the Steelers, we're starting to see this become a pattern. This is the third win in a row. The first one was pretty close, and the last two have been blowouts. The personnel for the Bengals has flipped over tremendously as opposed to the Steelers. The Steelers are getting older, and the Bengals are getting younger. And honestly, the Steelers never really do that. The Steelers, for all this talk about loyalty and blah, blah, blah from the Steelers or whatever, the Steelers are low-key very good at getting rid of a player the year before they turn in the trash. <laughs> it's, it's uncanny how they do it. They'll get rid of somebody like a like – a, who are we thinking of? Antonio Brown or – the linebackers that they used to have or somebody like that, um, Le'Veon Bell, they find ways to see that somebody is about to be on that decline. And they're okay with missing a year of greatness because they know if they hold on too long, it's going to hurt the team. And the other thing they've been really good at is finding young talent to step in and fill those voids. It seems like the Steelers always have somebody waiting in the wings that steps up and becomes that next Steelers star. Those two things are not happening. There's nobody behind Roethlisberger. Um, they were able to get a good running back in Najee Harris, but I feel like they're really overusing him. He's getting way too many passes. He's running the ball too much. And running backs have a really short shelf life. So they really got to stop giving him so many touches. And they've always had a number one wide receiver that was really good. I feel like Claypool can fit that, but he's not getting the ball enough because Roethlisberger can't get him the ball. So if you look at it, you have a team with a solid defense, but it's getting older. And the offense is getting older. They're able to fill in small parts with young folks, but... They don't have a plan at quarterback, whereas the Bengals, they have a plan, and they're working that plan, and it's working out really, really well. So if things stay the same as they are right now, this is going to be the norm. You're going to see, even if you don't see more blowouts, you are going to see the Bengals take over this rivalry, unless the Steelers decide to A, draft a quarterback, or B, and a lot of people aren't talking about this. Dwayne Haskins needs to get a look so they can see if he's good enough to take over the starting spot. They may not need to go get anybody. And I know people are saying Haskins kind of dropped off at his first spot and he's already proven that he couldn't do it. 
but a change of scenery does really, really good wonders for some people. We have a team chock full of first round draft picks and some went to, came from other places and they're killing it right now for the Bengals. This happens all across the league. You'll take somebody's recycled, not so good player, turn them into a great player. I feel like the Steelers really need to do that. They need to check out and see if Haskins can actually play. Because if he can, you just save yourself a lot of stress. And if he can't, you know you need to go get somebody that can. But at least you know. I mean, if you don't play him at all, what's really the point of bringing him? I don't know. That's kind of my thought on that. Um, Here's my second one. The Bengals are the best team in the AFC North. And for me, that's a, and eh. it would be a not overreaction. That's definitely on the money, but I'm still a little hesitant to call them the best team in the AFC North because of that Cleveland loss. They've blown out the Steelers twice. They've blown out the Ravens, but. Until we get consistent divisional play, we really can't call them the best team in the AFC North. The Ravens give you consistent good play in the division. And I guess you can say except for the one game against the Bengals, which is why I was kind of saying, and I just feel like we need to see a little bit more from the Bengals before we call them the best team in the AFC North. And the best thing about that is, They'll get that chance in the next couple of weeks from the teams that they play. So, you know, the Chargers, the Broncos, the Ravens, we'll see all of those teams. So they'll get a chance to see if they're the best team in the North. And you want to win your division because that's the that's just the easiest way to make the playoffs. You win the division, you're in the playoffs, and you're playing the home game. Now, it's the easiest way to get in the playoffs, but it's the hardest way <laughs> to win a playoff spot. We'll take a wild card, but if they can get the AFC North and they've shown that they can hang with every team in the division, surprisingly except the Browns, I, I don't know, and everybody's allowed one or two clunkers. They've had two and a half. The Bengals have had two and a half clunkers. I count the I count the Bears game as half a clunker because they were they were sleepwalking most of that game and then they stepped up at the end and kind of showed us that they had the firepower to do it. The Jets game, clunker. The Browns game, clunker. And I've heard people make excuses like, you know, the the pick six really hurt at the beginning of the game and stuff like that. It was just a bad game all around. The defense didn't play well. The offense didn't play well. It was just a bad game. Ever since then, clear blue skies. So what we just need to see is the Bengals being consistent. Right now, they're 7-4, and four, showing consistency. Burrow's not throwing the ball a lot, and that's excellent. You don't, you don't really want your quarterback throwing the ball a lot unless they have to. He's throwing the ball like 22, 23 times. Excellent. That's exactly what you want. Let Mixon run the ball and do his thing. If the Bengals can get the 10 wins, that's three more wins. If they get those, we're looking at a playoff team. And that just that just 
salvage the weekend for me, for real. I thought about just kind of ducking social media for a second and, and going like, nah. But I was just getting, I was getting trolled via text anyway. <laughs> so it was like, might as well just lean into it. Sunday helped out a lot because all of those haters that was blowing me up on Saturday, I wasn't really hearing from them on Sunday because, you know, my Bengals are winning. So that helped out a lot. Um, Buckeye fans out there, definitely stay the course. Don't let one loss to a team that we hate the most sway you and start going like, oh, this team was trash. This has been a really good year for the Buckeyes. You got to look at it from a long-term standpoint. A team of mostly freshmen and sophomores that didn't play a lot at all last year came through, have already won 10 games, and we're looking at a good bowl game where they can get more experience and get another W. Not up to Ohio State standards, I know, but at the same time, this year will lay down the groundwork for everything that happens next year and the year after. So you look at it through that lens and you feel a little bit better. Bengals, let's keep doing what we do. Hey, you got a sense of fan talking with LP. We'll be right back. Hi. Hi. I'm Princess. And I'm Queen. This is Daddy. You have to say, and this is a sensei fan talking with LP. And this is a sensei fan talking with LP Daddy. Nice job. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the pod. Got a Cincy fan talking with LP, and of course this is LP. Um, We're going to hop into a couple more um, statements that might be overreactions or might not be overreactions, depending on how you feel about it. Um, We're going to step away from sports and um, kind of jump around with these, these last two. Um, this came from a couple of the homies who who know how I feel about snowfall and and shows like snowfall. So the statement from a couple of the homies was snowfall is the best show in its genre ever. And I'm like, I didn't have to think twice about it. Overreaction. Like, like that that's an overreaction. Because basically what they were doing was they were comparing Snowfall to the wire and saying that Snowfall was better. And number one, I'm I'm getting a little burnt out from a lot of the shows that are like this. Um, Snowfall, Power, BMF, stuff like that. I I'm just waiting for Snowfall to come back out. I can't really watch the other shows. I feel like they're all starting to run together and do the same thing. Set it in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, show somebody's rise from the bottom to the top of a drug empire. Yada, yada, yada. I feel like what sets Snowfall apart from all of those shows is the layers. There's so many different layers to Snowfall. And you got to watch closer. You might miss it because you're looking at stories being told from 
three different standpoints. You're looking from the CIA standpoint. You're looking from somebody that's kind of caught between both worlds. They're they're kind of doing their thing in the drug game, but they're also kind of following the CIA. And then you have how the drugs are destroying the community, how it looks like they're building them up, but they're really tearing down everything that the community built. There's so many layers in the snowfall. It's amazing. I don't feel like the other shows that are out now, they don't really have those layers. They're kind of linear in approach and they stick to one thing and they just kind of keep going in that direction. So I feel like Snowfall is the best show out right now. But when you compare it to The Wire, there's there's really no comparison. I mean, th- there's just not. And for me, season one didn't show the greatness of The Wire. Season two showed the greatness of The Wire. How you can how you can completely change the racial makeup of the show, and you can change the job descriptions. And all of that, you can go in a completely different direction and still stay true to what the show is about. Different faces, completely different faces. Same troubles, same drama. It was absolutely amazing to see. Once I saw season two of The Wire, I knew that this would be the best show ever. And as as much as Snowfall does, I... And we haven't seen the next season yet, so you never know. But I feel like The Wire just got so deep. They covered so many different layers as far as education, media, crime, unions. It was it, it was it was crazy. And and there was really no good character. There is no character that you could say, hey, this character is is great and they're doing all of these good things everybody had flaws they all did and i feel like that's why people compare snowfall to the wire because there's really no hero in snowfall i mean people try to pump franklin up like you know franklin saying you know he's the hero he's doing great things but at the same time he's tearing his community down and he's starting to see what's happening with him pumping drugs into the community it looks completely different from what it looked like when the season start when the series started. Um, the cops look like bad characters, but really what they're doing is they're fighting crime. Some of them are not doing it the right way. So the layers for both are there, but to say that Snowfall is better than The Wire is, I feel like people are caught up in the moment when they say stuff like that. Let's let the rest of the series play out and then do the comparison because if we're comparing right now it's not even fair like it's it's not a fair fight you're comparing the entire wire catalog to an unfinished work snowfall's not gonna win like they're not gonna win in that but you let snowfall finish you let the whole thing play out then you can put it up against the wire and you can see which one was best but it's gonna take a lot to be better than the wire i mean that kind of set the blueprint for shows like that. And it's not surprising coming from a place like HBO. I mean, you got The Sopranos, you got The Wire. You you have long drawn out series that only got better and they get better with time. That's, that's kind of what HBO specializes in. So there's no shame in saying that, the, that Snowfall is second or third best. I mean, it really isn't. 
Um, my last overreaction. Um, this this kind of came in house. This this came from the fam. So here it is. Educationally speaking, next year will be better than this year. <laughs> that that's a tough one, and for me, that's a that's a eh. that's that's a that's a middle order role. It's it's very hard to tell. We were at this point last year, and we were thinking things would be better. And this is just what I feel personally. I feel like some places, some school districts, um, some neighborhoods were able to get back on their feet much quicker than other places. And you can put it on mask mandates. You can put it on a lot of other things. But if you're just being real and if you're in education, you understand this completely. If you're just being honest, some places were set up to go through something like this easier and to bounce back from it. You're dealing with other neighborhoods, uh, low income neighborhoods, um, low income schools in those neighborhoods. They weren't built to handle disasters such as these. They're not built to handle being away from school and having to do school from home and stuff like that. They're not built like that. So it's going to take them longer to bounce back. And a lot of people thought it would be better this year. And they're seeing that it takes a lot longer to bounce back because you're dealing with different types of structures being disrupted. You're dealing with agendas being shifted, uh, routines being displaced. And it takes a long time to build those back. I mean, just from experience, you take a kid and put them on a three or four day break. It takes about a week for them to fall back into the schedule like it really does. So we've had places where school was disrupted for half a year or in some cases a full year. And then they're supposed to hop back in and be okay this school year. It's going to take a long time. And I know that kids are adaptable and they deal with change very well, but this was unprecedented. And there's that word, <laughs> that word that, that was on all the commercials that I was just so sick of hearing. This hasn't happened before. So there's really no template in saying, well, it's going to take X amount of time and then the kids will be okay. They need time. Teachers need time. And I feel like teachers are so overlooked in this process because you had you have a lot of teachers with kids. So they have to go through this on two different levels. They go through this as a parent and as a teacher. So they're taking care of a lot of different kids. And I feel like the teachers kids were like really overlooked in this because you have parents that are trying to take care of everybody else's kid. And then they have to make time to take care of their kid. Me personally, I couldn't imagine being single in something like this. I mean, my wife and I were lucky enough. Not only are we teachers, but we understand what teachers need to do. And we understand what our kids need from us in order to succeed. So it was really a blessing for us to be able to lean on each other and go like, okay, I got this. You got that. I know you need time to take care of the kids in your class. So I got the kids, you do that, and then we'll switch. 
like that was a blessing for us to be able to do that and to be able to understand each other's jobs enough to do something like that. Um, I have a lot of teacher friends um, that that are single and they're looking like, look, I need my team to cover this because my kid needs all the Wi-Fi bandwidth that they can possibly get to take their test. So I'm going to be out of line for an hour or so. And we're like, okay, we got you covered. These are the things that a lot of teachers had to go through. And I don't feel like that gets enough airplay. I mean, I don't, I don't really think people understand what it was like, what it is like to be teaching through something like this. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that was like, oh, you got to teach from home? Oh, so you on break, huh? Hell no. Like, like, hell no, I'm not on break. This is not a break. Teaching from home is just as tough as teaching from school. And it's not even because of the distractions or anything like that. It's because it's so much tougher to engage kids on a computer. It, it's very tough. It it takes everything from you, like physically and mentally, to keep a kid focused, especially when you have some school districts that say, hey, don't even worry about them turning their camera on. So now you can't tell if they're paying attention to you. Very, very tough. So to say that this is the bounce back year, that's kind of hard to say because it depends on where you happen to be. Some school districts, they really didn't lose a beat. I know a lot of school districts, you know, in the more affluent sections that just kept running their same schedule, but they just did it on a computer. So they're like, first bill, you have this, second bill, you have this. They just ran the same schedule. And they were doing this when the, when the pandemic started last year. They were doing this like last April, last May. They were doing it then. But for other school districts, everything had to change. They had to make longer blocks and they were teaching first, second, third bell on one day and then fourth, fifth and sixth bell on another day. So kids wouldn't just be so overwhelmed with all the stuff that they had to do. Some districts had to change everything. And then some other districts didn't really have to change anything. They knew their kids had Wi-Fi at home. They knew they had computers at home, so they were good. Other districts scrambling around to help people, you know, get hooked up to Wi-Fi. Some people couldn't get Wi-Fi because they had outstanding bills. So you got to find them hot spots and stuff like that. It's going to take more than a year or so to get over that. I mean, it just is. You, you can't break something down as far as it was broken down and expect it to be right up and the kids be jumping right back into school. So I feel like this year was that transition year that nobody really thought about. A lot of people said, hey, you know, everything's going back to normal this year. This is not a normal year either. <laughs> don't don't get it twisted. Ask, ask teachers and they'll tell you this year does not feel normal. It's going to take a while to get back to normal. I feel like humans have this adaptability thing where you put them in a situation long enough, they can adapt to it. But adapting to something is much different than thriving in it. If I'm adapting, I'm like, okay, I'm getting used to this. I can make it work. Making it work is different from having the tools that you need and getting to the next level. We can adapt to anything. That's not really the issue. Like, 
you know, I can teach from anywhere, but teachers need the full tool set in order to do what they need to do. And I feel like this year is a transition period to getting teachers that that tool set. Next year, maybe. I'll, I'll, I'll put a maybe on it. It's, it's quite possible that next year can finally be the year where everything looks like it did pre-pandemic. But unfortunately, the pandemic's not over yet. So it's hard to say. We'll see what happens. So those are my overreactions and the thoughts to them. Um, if you feel differently or if you feel the same, uh, let me know. You can go ahead and hit me up on the voice message link. Let me know how you feel about it. You might pop up on the show next week. You never know. You can also hit me up on the Twitter page, um, and you'll hear about that in a quick second. But as always, this is your boy, LP. Um, life is good, y'all. Catch y'all next week. not ready for the conversation to end i'm not either make sure to catch me on twitter that's the sensi fan talking leave off the g at the end of it and we can keep the conversation going also don't be afraid to hit that subscribe button so you can catch the next episodes the episodes will drop every tuesday if there's a change in that i'll make sure to let you know appreciate the support as always life is good